0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you
1: to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. There's no doubt that the Christian faith is falling on hard times in our day. I'll spare, I'll spare you the data, but you're probably aware that other religious affiliations are growing at a much faster rate than Christianity is in our own country. Some people insist on pointing to mega church attendance numbers to downplay the problem, but many of those attenders aren't new believers who are being won to Christ. They are people who got bored with their previous church and went out looking for greener pastures or possibly an indoor playground. Some memberships then in the Christian church are shifting from one local congregation to another, but on the whole, we are not growing numerically. And there are plenty of candidates to take the blame. First, an increasing pluralism in our neighborhoods means that Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists aren't just people we see on a missionary's slideshow, on a Sunday night. They are our neighbors and our co-workers now. A second possible candidate is the lazy nostalgia in many churches that has frozen our methods in the 1960s and avoided the uncomfortable work of making our message attractive to children of the 1980s and 90s. And as I mentioned this morning, our own structures and systems can't even keep the majority of our own kids, much less attract new ones. A third candidate to take the blame is the increase in options for recreation, which have pushed the church out of its position as the social center in any given town. People are working more hours, and there are more two-income households than ever before. So when people have a few days off, they would rather go do something that doesn't include listening to someone who isn't their boss remind them about the things they ought to be doing. That's not lost on me, by the way. As I was going over my own stuff, I thought, my goodness, I've said a lot today. We can blame any of those things or we can blame all of those things for the decline in Christian faith and church attendance. But the largest problem, in my opinion, that is facing Christianity these days is the problem of familiarity. I don't mean familiarity in the sense that people have already believed and embraced our message and they simply don't think they need to hear it anymore. That would be good. But when I tell my wife, I love you, I can't imagine that she would reject that message because she's already heard it and she already knows that I love her. Instead, she'd say, tell me again. It seems like I can't tell her enough. So when I say that the largest problem that Christianity is facing is familiarity, I mean that people have been on the inside. They've seen what happens in the church. They carry the scars and the emotional hurt that came to them or their own family members through the church. That's the kind of familiarity I'm talking about. It's the been there, done that, got the t shirt, and don't want to go back kind of familiarity. They've heard the murmuring and the grumbling. It happens almost everywhere. When someone mentions a Baptist business meeting causing a big fight and a church split, everybody chuckles. It's not funny. It's an embarrassment, actually. The backbiting, the fighting, and the gossiping have caused many a student who grew up Christian to conclude for themselves that if this is what the Christian life is like, If this is the abundant life that Jesus was talking about, then I really want no part of it. Thank you very much. I'll try something else that might actually work. So people are rejecting Jesus today, not because of what Jesus did, but because of what church people have done. That's why there's a documentary that you can find on Netflix called Lord... Save us from your followers. And there are plenty of books like one called, They Like Jesus, But Not the Church. Again, people are rejecting Jesus today, not because of what Jesus did, but because of what church people have done. So it makes me think that Christian people would do really well to remember and live on the prayers of the Apostle Paul. Because if the future of faith is going to change, it will start with you and it will start with me. This morning we looked at one of Paul's prayers in Ephesians chapter 3. And now tonight we're looking at another prayer in Philippians chapter 1. And it's found in verses 9 through 11. And I've asked Emily if she would read it for us. With love. And not just to overflow, but to overflow more and more. At this church, we say that we are about making disciples by connecting, growing, and serving. And I want you to think about how that's going for you. Would you say that you're growing in your faith? Do you trust God more today than you did a year ago? Would you say that you are a more loving person today than you were a year ago? Well, actually, there's a psychological principle that says we think of ourselves a lot more favorably than we think about others. So maybe the better question would be, would your spouse... Would your kids, would your friends, would your coworkers say that you are a more loving person today than you were a year ago? Paul's prayer for us isn't just that we would love people when we feel like it, or when it's convenient. His prayer is that we would be so filled with love for one another that it would overflow, that it would spill out in real and practical ways. Whoever the person, whatever the situation. And this theme of love for one another goes back to Jesus, who said what? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you get an In God We Trust license plate. Memorize a bunch of Bible verses? Say grace before meals? So everybody sees? No. He said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So love, whether you start with Paul or whether you go back to Jesus, love is at the heart of what we're about. But it's not just a heart thing. Paul also prays for us to grow in knowledge and understanding. Do you see that? That you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. He's not talking about a collection of random facts that will make you a trivial pursuit champion. He's talking about wisdom and discernment. Knowing why and when and how to best represent Christ in the world. It's not just a matter of representing Christ in the world. Any old guy with a bullhorn can do that. It's knowing the best way to represent Christ in the world. I think this means asking a simple question before taking an action. And it's right there on your slip. It's the one blank that I've got for you if you want to take a look. The question is this. What does love require of me in this situation? What does love require of me in this situation? And there are many situations. I just picked one that is close to home. Let's say a family member comes to you asking for money. Right? We've all been there. It's not always obvious what love requires of you in that situation. What happened to the last thousand dollars I gave you? Well, it got spent. Hey, you don't have to eat out every night of the week. Have you ever heard of a grocery store? Well, I just need a couple hundred dollars. How do you respond to that? What does love require of you in this situation? It might not actually be the loving thing to give them money. It might be, but it might not be. If you give them money, it might just be enabling them to keep spending more than they have. So there's a fine line between loving someone in a way that helps them get back on their feet and enabling someone in a way that actually keeps them down. And it requires knowledge and understanding, wisdom and discernment to know the difference, to know what love requires of you in a given situation. So Paul prays that we would continue to grow in those areas, So we will be able to best represent Christ in the world. Again, it's not just simply a matter of representing Christ in the world. How can we best represent Christ in the world? And it's so important because as you know, people who do the wrong thing in the wrong way at the wrong time in the name of Christ will actually end up driving people away from the church rather than attracting them to it. And so Paul prays that we wouldn't be like that. He says, verse 10, I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. With hearts filled and overflowing with love and minds growing in knowledge and understanding, Paul brings the picture together. This is about life. This is about your whole life. Head, heart, hands, all of you. Don't get caught up spinning your wheels on things that don't matter. Understand what really matters and pursue those things. And the driving force for keeping us attuned to the things that really matter is what Paul here calls the day of Christ's return. Or to use the words of the Apostles' Creed, the day when Christ will come to judge the quick and the dead. That's, that's old school. I like that. I don't like everything old school, but I like that. Knowing that a day is coming on which Christ will bring all things to the light of judgment, should affect the way that we live our lives and the choices that we make today. So against the backdrop of that future day, Paul wants us to live pure and blameless lives. And I've asked Joe Milner to come up and say a little bit about what Paul probably has in mind at this point. Come on, Joe.
0: My face turned red yet? <laughs> Don't worry, it will. All right, by this time in his career, Paul has written many letters, enough to understand what people might be thinking when he says something like this. Even when he's praying, he can understand this. Like, what really matters? What does Paul mean by living a pure and blameless life? So he follows up this sense about living pure and blameless lives by saying... May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. Now, this phrase, the fruit of your salvation, brings to mind something that he wrote in Galatians. Actually, Galatians 5.22. He wrote about the fruits of the Spirit. And these are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't know about y'all, but my parents can tell you I need a whole lot more of those things. Can't you? <laughs> All right. Now, honestly, I think these characters, quality of characters, are what Paul has in mind when he's praying for us to be filled with the fruit of our salvation. Because when you are saved, you are supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And these are the fruits of the Spirit. When you're filled with these, you should want to go out and have these and show the world love. And as a man once said, named Gandhi, anyone ever heard of him?
1: Oh, boy. Oh,
0: boy. He said, I like your Christ, but not your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. This is probably because most of us don't have these things or live them out. And that's why when Paul says we are filled with these and we are going out and showing love joy, having peace and patience, we bring much glory and praise to God. Now, instead of turning people away from the Christian faith when we do all these things, we will actually bring them into the church because of what we are showing. The love that we offer each and every single person. Now, people, when Paul says, You may live a pure and blameless life until the day of Christ's return. He doesn't mean live perfect. Only one man ever did that, and that was Jesus Christ. It's impossible for us to do that. But he means to be Christ like, to be filled with the Spirit so that we may act like Christ and carry out His mission for us on this earth. And again, these characters, these fruits of the Spirit that we are filled with when we are saved, are fruits of salvation are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These, to me, are the things that really matter. These are the things that we need and that we can live pure and blameless lives or a Christ-like life until the day of Christ's return because then we will truly be doing what he called us to do. And now, back to (laughs) Trevor. Yeah. That was awesome.
1: That's awesome. As I emphasized this morning for Paul and for us, this is all about the glory of God. You see that? The glory of God. And so he concluded his prayer in Ephesians, and he concludes his prayer here talking about God's glory. Paul wants God to be honored. He wants God to be worshipped. He wants God to be praised. When we live for the glory of God, we are living for something bigger than ourselves. And deep down, that's really what we all need. Student, adult, that's what we all need because that's what we were made for. We were created to be so overwhelmed with the glory of God that we overflow with the love of God. That's what will bring passion and significance and meaning to your life. We were created to be so overwhelmed with the glory of God that we overflow with the love of God. When you know that you are part of something bigger than yourself, you get caught up in it, and it leaves no part of your life untouched. Christian faith and church attendance might not be as high as they once were in our country, but the change starts with you, and the change starts with me. It starts as we overflow more and more with love. It starts as we keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. It starts as we understand what really matters It starts as we live pure and blameless lives. It starts as we are filled with the fruit of salvation. When those things are happening, then our faith will grow, the church will grow, and most importantly, God will be glorified. And that's what it will look like when we're living on this prayer. Let's pray. God, help us to know what love requires of us in the various situations in our lives. So often we don't know. Help us. And help us not just to know what to do, but also give us the courage and the strength to do it. So often we know what to do, We need the courage, and we need the strength to do it. The life that you call us to cannot be compartmentalized. You want all of us, every part of who we are. And so we offer ourselves to you tonight, our hearts, our heads, and our hands. Use us for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.